from the University of Northern Colorado, this is Bear in Mind. I'm your host, Matthew Cower, and today I'm sitting with Dr. Anderson, Professor of Earth Sciences here at UNC. Well, thank you so much for sitting here today with me. So first of all, I just want to talk about some of the research that you've done in the past. You're a very prolific scientist, as it is in the world of uh, geology and uh, volcanology, and I've seen that you've traveled all over the world. So what kind of research have you done in different places around the globe? My research is actually pretty easy, I think, to understand. I look at the uh, surfaces of active lava flows, and depending on where they are, what volcano they're erupting from, what slope they're on, what composition of magma, the surfaces look different. And what I've tried to do pretty much through my whole career is look at a lava flow surface and try to figure out what it's telling us about what the volcano is doing at the time the lava flow is forming. Wow. So what kind of places have you been to? I started that work at Mount St. Helens back in the 1980s when the volcano was going through this phase of making lots of little lava flows in the crater that was blown out in the big eruption in 1980. So there were about 20 little eruptions that occurred from 1980 to 1986. So when I went to grad school and got my master's and PhD, I looked at those lava flows and they had really different surfaces depending on something. And we didn't know what at the time. So I spent several years up there studying it and most of the textures and features on the lava flow surface there seem to be related to how much gas was still left in the magma that was rising up to the surface at the time. So then after that, I kind of extended that work to some volcanoes in Guatemala, Peru, Iceland, Italy, New Zealand, Indonesia. I've been pretty much everywhere you could hope to be that a volcano exists and erupts, except Africa. Um, And I finally got to go to Africa about two years ago. There's some awesome places there. It's my, the African continent's my absolute favorite place to visit. And I've been back a couple times, can't wait to get back. Any, uh, any trips to Antarctica soon? So you could hit all continents? No, my, I'm jealous that one of my former UNC students, though, was just there. Oh, he wow. He got his master's a couple of years ago with me. He looked at the lava lake at Kilauea Volcano in Hawaii and then went to work for the Army Corps of Engineers um, doing LIDAR work, which is kind of a laser mapping tool that's becoming more common in science applications. And he just got to go down to Antarctica. He spent a few weeks down there. and So I'm pretty jealous. That's the one continent I haven't been to yet. Um, but yeah, I love I love the earth. I love the whole earth. I like the natural landscapes. And lately, um, I've been more and more interested in the people and cultures that are affected by some of these natural phenomena. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's becoming more and more relevant every day. Yeah. I mean, most people in the world, you know, we have 7 billion of them. Um, most people in the world live on coastlines. Mm-hmm. And a lot of coastlines are volcanically active. And I think it's estimated that upwards of a half billion to a billion people live in direct harm's way of a volcano. So it's – I never really studied – thought about studying volcanoes from a societal relevance standpoint. I mean, I always told my mom that, you know, my work could help save lives. But I really did it because – volcanoes are really cool yeah, and yeah, not because okay. they were saving lives you know if i have to be completely honest but um maybe as i get a little older and a little more mature <laughs> i'm starting to see the relevance that some of the work that i've done with some of my colleagues that it has for real people 
So yeah. maybe I'm getting soft in my old age. <laughs> no, that's that's awesome. So something that we're uh, referencing here, obviously, is um, a recent study that was published in November 2016 uh, that found something that I found was pretty interesting about Mount St. Helens that I've never heard of with any volcano. But um, just for the benefit of the listeners, in 2014, a group of geologists from six different institutes uh, detonated 23 50-pound explosives uh, all around Mount St. Helens. And this sent shockwaves through, through the mountain, through the volcano. And they were able to record it and then uh, analyze this data, kind of create a map of it, kind of like an ultrasound, but on a much bigger scale. Is that about right? Yeah, it's it's basically an ultrasound for the Earth. They yeah. bounce these waves that are created when you detonate these explosives in the ground, and it gets bounced off rocks at depth with different densities and um, you know different behaviors. Some of it's most of it's solid, but you get some liquid, obviously, in the Mount St. Helens region. So they were trying to look at what lies beneath Mount St. Helens and why it's the most active of the volcanoes in the Cascades. Yeah. And one of the things that they found out was the rock under Mount St. Helens is colder than usual. It's, it's quote unquote cold blooded was what they found. Is that accurate to say? It's, it's, I know they were trying to find a interesting way to say it that people could relate to, but basically if you look at all of the volcanoes in the Pacific Northwest that are part of the Cascade Range, they all lie in a line. And the reason that they're there is because there's a ocean plate just off the west coast of Washington, Oregon, and Northern California, and it's pushing eastward and it's slipping beneath our continent. And as it slips beneath and goes deeper and deeper, it gets hotter and hotter. Well, what's interesting about St. Helens is that it lies farther west than all of the other volcanoes. And the position of that plate that's slipping under the continent, we call it the subducting plate, beneath St. Helens is actually not as deep as it is for the rest of the Cascade volcanoes because as it descends from the ocean beneath the continent, it goes deeper and deeper. Mount St. Helens being a little west of all the others, that plate is a little shallower. And what they found out was that it's actually not deep enough to melt. And so they're thinking, so, well, why is St. Helens so active? And why is it, why is it even a volcano if it, the material beneath it isn't deep enough to melt? Yeah. And that's a question that a lot of us have had. Nobody really understands. They are suspecting that maybe it's, in fact, kind of a pirate volcano. And it's basically stealing its magma from nearby Mount Adams, which is about... 40 miles farther east. So beneath Mount Adams, that plate is deep enough to cause melting. And for some reason, maybe some structures in the rocks underneath, some of that magma is getting diverted back to the west, and we don't know why, and making the volcanism that we see at St. Helens. Because it's really interesting, Mount Adams is really quiet and has been for many thousands of years, but Mount St. Helens has been the most active volcano in that entire range, and yet it sits in a place where there's not supposed to be anything melted beneath it. Yeah. Could there be a correlation between that? Like, if if it weren't siphoning it or stealing it the way that you said it, would uh, Mount Adams be a little bit more active? (laughs) I would suspect, yeah. It's Mount Adams is one of the least active in the Cascade Range, and then you have 
Mount St. Helens, which is the most active. So there's a handful of volcanoes that lie what we call off-axis. you got the main trend of the Cascades that has Mount Baker, Mount Rainier, Mount Hood, the Sisters, Mount Shasta. And then you've got this one volcano, St. Helens, that lies to the west, where it's supposedly not hot enough to melt. And then you have a couple of volcanoes um, that lie to the east of it, too. And we don't quite know why you have these off-axis volcanoes. It's an area of research that's really fascinating. I myself haven't really dealt with that. I look mostly at just the lava flows that come out on top um, during an eruption, but it's all connected, so I try to keep active on the cause of all of the things that I eventually go and look at. Yeah. I didn't realize that the field of volcanology was so expansive and still developing. Yeah, it's... um, In many ways, it's kind of a new science. Um, Obviously, people have been interested in volcanoes as long as humans and volcanoes have interacted. But um, the actual science behind it kind of gets broader and broader as we learn things and as we extend what we know to new environments. And for someone like me who studies lava flows... I look at the surfaces and try to figure out what the volcano was doing when the lava flows were forming. I can then sort of take that whole line of research and look at volcanoes in some really interesting environments like Mars, Venus. So you can look at the the lava flows on Mars and Venus and apply what we've learned here on Earth and try to get some idea of how they erupt. Are they similar to Earth? Are they different? Uh, what comparisons can be made? What can we learn by looking at volcanoes in other places? So that's been where most of my research has been focused the last 10, 15 years. Yeah, so kind of piggybacking off of exactly what you were just saying. So you, you've gotten research grants from NASA. Are you working in a line with NASA? Like, are you using their, te- uh, their instruments with them? Or are, you, or, or are you more just analyzing the, f- the photography and the data that they've collected? Well, I don't build any of the instruments, yeah. and I don't work on any of the um, teams that send the instruments up, although many of the colleagues that I work with do. Um, you know, they work at the Jet Propulsion Lab. They're um, involved in the design of um, different cameras and spectrometers and instruments that I can use to learn about the lava flows there. So I use NASA data, uh, NASA data exclusively, and most of my funding over the past 10 years or so has come from NASA's planetary geology or Mars data analysis program. So we just apply for grants and we get them competitively reviewed. And if we do a good job, they send us money and my students and I do the research and try to publish the results. Wow. Professor of Earth Sciences. That's not entirely accurate then. (laughs) Um, It should be Earth and Planetary Sciences, I guess. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking to me today. I love the conversation. My pleasure. Thank you for listening and join us next time on Barren Mind.